Are you ready for a high-octane adventure through the tumultuous world of teenage rebellion and automotive mayhem? Then jump into the driver's seat because it's time to rediscover the laughter, hijinks, and teenage romance that made this 80s flick a beloved cult classic. In the sun-soaked suburbs of California, we meet the lovesick teenager Les Anderson, whose one goal in life is to earn his driver's license and impress the girl of his dreams, Mercedes Lane. However, when Les fails his driving test, he embarks on a wild and reckless journey with his two friends after borrowing his grandfather's prized Cadillac for a night of adventure. What follows is a zany night filled with numerous car chases, unconscious dates, and Les discovering the confidence he didn't realize he had. So grab your keys to the caddy, avoid the no parking zones, and meet us at Archie's Drive-In as Nicholas Pepin and I discuss License to Drive from 1988 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Meet the Andersons. Yes! They're all awaiting a big event. For your information, this is exactly what I ate when I was pregnant with all of you. But Les is excited about an even bigger event. Less than 48 hours away, the people at the Department of Motor Vehicles are going to be handing you your license. His reputation is riding on it. Do you think there's any chance we could get it Saturday night? Not a chance in hell, Dean. The date of a lifetime depends on it. Mercedes Lane. But it doesn't look good. You failed. He failed? Honey, what is wrong with you? Is this the end for Les Anderson? I thought that we had a date tonight. An innocent girl. Harmless drive. What could possibly go wrong? Will Les get the car home in one piece? Will his father leave Les in one piece? You are damn lucky your mother didn't go into labor time. No, I, I am in labor! What? License to Drive. I'm Tim Williams, the mastermind behind the mic at the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Joining me on each epic episode is a guest co-host who's as crazy about 80s flicks as they are about wearing parachute pants and solving Rubik's Cubes. We're diving into nostalgic treasures we saw at the local theater, rented on VHS tapes, or discovered on cable TV. From blockbusters that make you say, I feel the need, the need for speed. To hidden gems that'll have you screaming. They're here. It's a blast to relive these old memories and share our thoughts on what made these movies so special. We reminisce about our first time watch experiences, share our favorite scenes, and even discover fascinating behind the scenes tales about the cast and crew along the way. Haven't hit that subscribe button yet? What are you waiting for? Come on, do it. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. And hey, while you're at it, be a pal and drop us a written review along with a five-star rating to tell us what you think about us. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. Take a day off and come hang out with us on social media. Just search 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And don't forget to bookmark 80sflickflashback.com for more gnarly content. 
Get out of town. I didn't know you did anything creative. Want to crank it all the way up to 11? Become a supporter on buymeacoffee.com for only $5 a month. Do or do not. There is no try. Click the link in our episode show notes. And while you're there, soak up the extra trivia and fun stuff that didn't make it into today's show. Thanks again for tuning in. Now, let's get right into today's episode. Welcome to the party, pal. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this episode of the podcast. And I'm so glad to have my friend Nicholas Pepin back with us from Pop Culture Roulette to talk about License to Drive with the two Corys. How you doing, Nicholas? Oh, I'm, I'm quite good, quite good. I'm glad to be here <laughs> for this one. Oh yeah, I know you were excited about when I when I set out the list of movies that were coming up. You were like quick on this one. I was like we've got to do it. Let's do it. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> um, it's I mean I mean we'll get here in a second, but it's been a long time since I watched this. Yeah, movie. yeah, same, same. But it was shocking how much of it I remembered. Oh yeah, for sure. And there's a lot of we'll get into it. Like there's a lot of parallels or like similarities with other movies. As I was watching, I was like I feel like I've seen this in something else or like. This feels like not really borrowed, but just, you know, yeah, some certain cliches that you just kind of see in a lot of these movies, especially from the 80s, for sure. Yeah. So, all right, before we jump all the way in, I do want to thank our international listeners in the United Kingdom, Brazil, Canada, Australia, Germany, Austria, and France. Thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast, and I hope you enjoyed this episode as well. All right, Nicholas, let's jump right in. When did you see License to Drive for the very first time? Was this a theater or VHS or cable? VHS. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember the kid's name. Uh, I had a friend when I, I was living in Memphis, mm-hmm. and I hung out with him a lot. Um, and I remember going over to his house and, and you know, like Friday nights or Saturday nights. Right, and, right. And his parents would, like, rent us a couple movies. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. And I must have, like, liked it so much that I got my parents to rent it for me. Because <laughs> I feel like there's no way I remember it as well as I do if I only saw it the one time back in 1988. For sure. Eight? Eight. Yeah, 88. Yeah, yeah, there's no way, you know, that, that many years ago I saw it the one time. So I must have watched it a bunch of times because I was like, I remember this, I remember it. And like mm-hmm. you said, there's definitely a few scenes then I'm like, this seems familiar, mm-hmm. but uh, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it's just so much of this movie. I was like, I remember this. I remember that line. I remember, mm-hmm. I re- you know, um, there's definitely kind of homages. Like I've yeah. had, like there yeah. was definitely parts of it. Where I was like, this has a better off dead feel. Yeah, it does. Yeah, you know, it's then, very. I don't want to say it's uneven because it it's enjoyable, but you can tell it's trying to be a lot of different types of movies kind of jumbled together like you know he breaks the fourth wall in one point where it's like very ferris bueller's day off and then you know there's other parts that are a little bit uh adventures and babysitting like and you know with the chases and the bad guys or not the bad guys but like the chase scenes and stuff yeah but and then some of the you know some of the sound effects were a little bit more goofy than they probably needed to be i mean this this movie definitely dates itself i mean it is it is hardcore 80s i mean it is Right down to the soundtrack and yes. the, uh, the clothes, the outfits. Now the I will he- say this: yeah, the soundtrack, the hair. Yeah, oh yeah, we'll talk about the hair too. Uh, but the soundtrack, going back, it's like, man, I remember a lot of these songs. Like, I mean, they weren't originals for the movie; they were just songs, popular songs of the time, and they would just kind of insert them for just a few, you know, like a short, yeah, you know, just in the background. Because when I was going through and looking at, because a lot of the things I pulled up on the movie had the soundtrack and like 
songs that were on the soundtrack and then songs that were featured in the movie they didn't put on the soundtrack and then there's they took out one of the pebbles songs and put in in excess uh one of their songs for a vhs release because they'd lost the rights but then they put it back in later because the version i watched didn't have the in excess song in it but yeah i don't know i don't i'm pretty i mean it's like i'm not super familiar with nxs i mean i know they're bigger stuff but like yeah it was one of the bigger, it was one of their popular well, songs at the time okay. i just can't remember which song it is off the yeah top then of my head. the version i watched definitely didn't have the nxs no no you know. i don't think i saw this in the theater if i did it wasn't like a super memorable <laughs> experience uh besides knowing i like it but i think this is probably one i'm sure i rented and what in 88 i would have been yeah i was in maryland so that was probably one at the library that we checked i was able to check out you know would check out multiple yeah. times during the summer and just watch over and over again i don't remember this being really a cable movie that was on a lot off the top of my head but i i remember watching it many times and i probably recorded the tv version you know had my own version of it yeah. at some point well, since I didn't have cable until like 96, I'm pretty sure that it must have been something <laughs> that I rented right. a couple of times. So Yeah. Yeah, I'd say like but late 80s, you had cable, but I wasn't – at that time, I wasn't watching stuff on cable as much as I was renting because you could, get, you could rent it quicker than it was on cable. So if, I was, if it was one, it was when I probably rented first, and then if it goes on cable, I would watch it whenever it was on and it just happened to be on, but – uh, so how long has it been? We both said it's been a while. So how long has it been since you rewatched it? Oh, gee, I honestly don't remember. It's, it, I'm guessing I probably stumbled across it on TV mm -hmm. in the last 20, 30 years and watched it here or there. Because I mean, like I said, I, I remember it so vividly and so well. I mean, there were parts of it I didn't quite remember, but there mm -hmm. were large chunks of it where I was like, yeah, I, I you know, that I mm -hmm. must have seen it more recently than 1988. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. It had been a long time, but I think probably like within the last 10 years, uh, right before we moved from Jacksonville, it was on one of the streaming services before there's like, you know, back then there was only like Amazon Prime and Hulu, I think. So it was on one of those. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I haven't seen this movie in so long. And I watched it. And I was like, it's cheesy and it's very dated, but it still was enjoyable. And there were still parts of it that I really I like brought back good memories and made me laugh. It's still been a while. Cause like, even if I saw it seven years ago, watching it again this weekend, like, like you said, I was stuff that I remembered or knew, Oh, this is about to happen or this is coming up, but there were still some parts that I was like, I didn't remember at all. Yeah. All right. Well, let's jump in a little bit into story origin and pre-production. And I will say up front, there was nothing I could find anywhere that was a good, you know, good story of how, the, how this movie came about. Uh, I did watch a couple of the behind-the-scenes interviews that they did with uh, the Corys, and it seemed to be a, a script that had kind of been floating around for a while. I did see two differing statements, and I went with the one that made the most sense to me. <laughs> and that was, it was originally intended to be more of a drama, but after the success of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the decision was um, was to, was made to rewrite the script as a comedy. There was another one that said that it was a failed article for National Lampoon. And I was like, that doesn't seem as accurate to me that that's what it was. Um, and then there was something like John Hughes was going to direct it. I was like, no, he wasn't. This is not no. a John Hughes movie. No. Uh, 
and he doesn't direct movies. He doesn't write. So, you know, the internet doesn't always, isn't always true. Go figure. I did. I did a little research here or there. I saw a couple of those things, but yeah, you're right. It doesn't make any sense for John Hughes to have had his, I mean, you can see his, his DNA, his right. influence on it. And I right. can definitely, I think I agree with you that I definitely see like where the script was and what it became after, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um, after Ferris Bueller, I'm guessing after better off dead after, you know, adventures even, of babysitting. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. In fact, there was one and I don't, we'll get there in a second, I'm sure, but there was okay. one, well, there's another movie that I think influenced a, a big set piece in the beginning. Oh. Oh, yeah. I think we might be thinking of the same thing. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. This was the directorial debut of Greg Beeman, who went on to direct such classics as Mom and Dad Save the World in 1992, <laughs> Problem Child 3 in 95, and Bushwhacked in 95. <laughs> he has mainly worked in TV since. He doesn't have the best track record, but I will say of the movies listed, this is by far my favorite Greg Beeman film. Yeah, his his uh, movie career at least kind of <laughs> took a huge downturn after this one. Oh yeah. All right. Well, we're kind of already there. So let's well, before we get into casting. So the scene at the beginning, did it bring back memories of Nightmare on Elm Street two? Absolutely. <laughs> I had and I had to look it up to see which one came first because I yeah. can't remember. And yeah. I was like, yeah, there's no way. They didn't see Freddy's Dead or Freddy, whatever Freddy movie that Freddy's was. Revenge, said, I think yeah, was Freddy's yeah. Revenge, I think. Yeah, Freddy's Revenge, Freddy. Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and go, we can do that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it's like, okay, there's a dream sequence. He's on the bus. The bus is out of control. And I'm like, wait a minute. I've seen this before. Yeah. And I've seen this recently because I've watched, I've watched Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 in the last year. So I was like, did they really just steal that? Or is it just a weird coincidence? I, I don't know. I mean, but there's... I mean, there's no way that there wasn't some sort of mm-hmm. liberal liberal borrowing. <laughs> We've seen this done before. Let's I'm, just change I'm it a so, little bit. I'm so glad that you saw it as well, and it wasn't yeah. just me. Yeah, because you know, same. Because I was like, I was like, surely Nicholas is seeing this. You know, he's going to notice this too. Because, and I didn't catch it really until the second time I watched it. Because I watched it twice uh, before recording, and I was like, this seems oddly familiar. And not because I just watched it two days ago. I was like, no, this this feels like Nightmare on Elm Street. And I had to do. I had to remember which. I don't remember which Nightmare on Elm Street it was. I was like, the second. It's the second where he starts in the in the bus, right? Yeah, yeah. It was the second one. Yeah, I knew exactly which Nightmare on Elm Street it was. I just didn't remember the time frame. Gotcha. Which one came um, first? And then I also, I mean, I did have to make sure it was the second one. But I was, I was like, I'm. I could remember it was the one that was not the one that really followed the canon with the rest of the Nightmare on right, Elm right, movies. Yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, I mean, this is just, uh, I mean, it was so, I mean, obviously back in 88, I would not have seen that movie. So this would have been yeah, yeah. the only yeah. reference I had to it because I right. was not allowed to watch those movies mm-hmm. back then. But this time I watched it, I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I probably saw these around, like, yeah, 87, 88 was about when I was watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. But I probably, I was watching so much stuff back then, I probably didn't even recognize the the correlation. But it's funny to think that we both saw it this time. So, all right, good. Now that we got that out of the way, because we both were like, I think we were both chomping at a bit like, I don't want to forget about this later. Let's talk about it now. Yeah, pretty much. And now, these messages. (sighs) 
What seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. Alright, well let's jump into casting. So of course this stars the two Corys. We'll talk, and I've talked about both Corys in previous movies because they were both on Lost Boys, which we covered before, but I'll still do a quick kind of overview of their careers. Corey Haim as Les Anderson. He started a number of 80s films such as Silver Bullet in 85, as well as Murphy's Romance in 85, Lucas in 86, and they followed up this one with Dream a Little Dream in 89. His role alongside Corey Feldman in Lost Boys in 87 made him a household name. They were known as the two Corys. The duo became 80s icons and appeared together in seven films altogether, later starring in the A&E American reality show The Two Corys. Haim's early success led to money and fame. He had difficulty breaking away from the trauma of his experience as a child actor and was troubled by drug addiction throughout his adult life. And unfortunately, he died of pneumonia on March 10th, 2010. So he's been gone almost 14 years now. So I honestly, I saw that and I was like, I thought it was way earlier than 2010. Yeah, I did too. I was thinking that was like late 90s. Yeah. But but he had been out of the spotlight for a while. So it wasn't like, you know, uh, but still sad. Still sad. I didn't watch any of the reality show when it came out. But I did. I, I saw in his interview he said that he liked the film, but this it was so funny. He was bothered by seeing his, the habit of keeping his mouth open in many scenes throughout the film. And it is funny. Like after seeing that interview, he does like every facial expression, his mouth is open. And he said, his mom would say, are you catching flies with that mouth? <laughs> like trying to get him to break the habit. And he said, that's the only thing he doesn't like watch about rewatching the movie is seeing his mouth open all the time. So. Yeah. I, I caught, I caught, I watched the, I watched it. I always try to watch the movie twice before I do. Mm-hmm. One of these episodes, I watched it and then I read all the trivia. Yeah, so and then watched, time again. I watched it. I was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, I can't not see it now." <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> I did the first time I watched it. I didn't. It didn't. It didn't occur to right, me. I never, right. I never saw it. And then I read that and I saw it and I'm like, "Yep, there it is. Yep, there it is. Yep, mm-hmm. there it is." <laughs> Close your mouth, man. Close your mouth. Uh, so then we got Corey Feldman as Dean. I feel like his name was Dean and Dreamy Little Dream. Maybe it was Dinger. So I don't remember. Uh, as a youth, he became well-known for his roles in 80s films such as Friday the 13th, The Final Chapter in 84, which we've covered, Gremlins in 84, which we've covered, Goonies in 85, which we've covered, Stand By Me in 86, which we've covered. <laughs> I've obviously a Feldman podcast. He experienced diminishing success in the film industry as an adult amid well-publicized personal conflicts with Haim over Haim's substance abuse and with Michael Jackson, who had befriended him during his time as a teen celebrity. We want to jump into that part of his life. Feldman has said in interviews that his heart sank when he heard Haim beat him out for the lead role one more time when this had already happened with Lost Boys, Lucas, and Murphy's Romance. The two were best friends, but also fierce rivals, which was only that's the only place I ever saw that they were fierce rivals. But I do know that he did audition for Les, and they said that he had auditioned like four or five times uh, for the role of Les, and then they went with Haim, which I, I'm probably thinking that they knew he was a better fit for the friend 
and I will say watching the movie, and I'm, you know, soccer here, but Haim is a much better actor than Feldman is anyway. So Yeah. yeah. And it's and, evident. <laughs> right. Feldman is great in the roles that he is. I yes. don't know if, if he would be a lead. No, he has that sidekick character so well handled. It he would have to do something completely different to be a, in a lead. He can't play the the, sim, the the typical type role he does and be the lead. I don't think. No. Fun fact: Neither Corey Feldman nor Corey Haim had driver's license when filming started, so neither one of them knew how to drive a car. So I know Haim got his license while he was filming, so he got to do some of the driving in the which, movie. Which, which means this is one of the rare movies that they actually filmed people who were of the age, right, right, that that they were filming. Or mm -hmm. Haim and Feldman both got their license very late in life. <laughs> no, I think they were like sixteen around the time. Yeah, pretty pretty accurate. So moving along to other people in the cast, uh, Carol Kane as Mrs. Anderson. Of course, we talked about her on The Princess Bride, but she became known in the 70s and 80s in films such as Dog Day Afternoon in 75, Annie Hall in 77, The Princess Bride in 87, and Scrooge in 88, which I, she was in Scrooge. We covered that as well. She also appeared in the television series Taxi in the early 80s as Simca Gravis, the wife of Latka, Winning two Emmy Awards for her work, she also played the character of Madame Morrible in the musical Wicked, both in touring productions and on Broadway from 2005 to 2014. Carol Kane is fantastic in whatever she's in. She's so fun. She, she brings the quality no matter what role is she's yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in her and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt was... Yes, uh, yes. One of my favorites, uh, favorite Netflix shows as well. Yeah, she was great on that. Her voice is, you know completely unmissable oh uh, yeah but yeah she's great i enjoyed her in this uh richard macer or mosser as mr robert anderson his dad he appeared i you know I, I felt like he had been in a lot of things which he has but he appeared in an episode of the waltons as well as an episode of all in the family in late 1974 had a recurring role on rhoda and one day at a time his movie credits include the thing in 82 Risky Business in 83, My Science Project in 85, Shoot to Kill in 88, My Girl in 91, as well as its sequel, and Encino Man in 1992. I think they were a great mom and dad yes. pair up. Played really well uh, off each other. He was he was also in It, wasn't he? He was, yep. He was yeah, part okay. of that cast, yep. The, yeah. TV, the TV movie version yeah. in the 80s, yeah. But, yeah, he's great in The Thing. He was good in... I don't remember his role in Risky Business as much, but he's great in the thing. He's good in Shoot to Kill. That's another forgotten 80s flick that's really good. He was he was a great movie dad. Yeah, yeah. He fit that well role. Uh, he, I mean, he fit that role well. He fit that well role. Uh, and then uh, let's talk about Heather Graham as Mercedes Lane, the worst named character of the movie. And come on, they only named her Mercedes Lane to make the joke that they made towards the end of the movie. Several jokes. They had two jokes. Well, like, yeah, several. Yeah, the, okay, um, the two the two jokes in particular. But yeah. yeah, but but you saw that line coming at the end. I mean, yeah. when he's offering the BMWs, like, no thanks, Dad. I already got a Mercedes. I was like, you named her Mercedes just to put that joke in the script, and that's that, terrible. That one, and the, I never thought I'd see a Mercedes in the trunk of a uh, yeah, Cadillac. in the trunk of a Cadillac, yeah. And I was like, that one really wasn't funny. I mean, it was just like, you're forcing this at this point. But yeah, but yeah, uh, 
But anyway, Heather Graham, this was her first starring role in a feature film, followed by the critically acclaimed film Drugstore Cowboy in 89. She then played supporting roles in the TV series Twin Peaks in 91 and in films such as Six Degrees of Separation in 93 and Swingers in 96. But she gained critical praise for her role as Roller Girl in the film Boogie Nights in 97. This led to major roles in the comedy films Bowfinger and Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me, both in 99. She had leading roles in Say It Isn't So in 2001 and From Hell in 2001 and continued to play supporting roles in the films Mary in 2005, The Hangover in 2009, and its sequel, Hangover Part 3 in 2013. She has also had roles on television series such as Scrubs in 2004. She's been in a lot. Yes. But I can honestly say that when I rewatched this probably seven years ago, whatever, I did not remember that Heather Graham was in this movie. Like I did not, I did not know that was the same person that had been in all these other movies, like later in life. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, rewatching it. Like I knew like going into it, like, Oh, Heather Graham is in this because mm -hmm. like, it's one of those things. Hey, do you remember that Heather Graham's first <laughs> movie? I was like, yeah, I mean, but I didn't remember necessarily remember like, when I watched it back in the eighties, obviously it was the two Corys. Yeah, Just, yeah. Know, they were at the you know beginning towards the height of their popularity. Of course, yeah. But looking back on it now, you're like, oh yeah, this is kind of what broke Heather Graham. Like this is what <laughs> yeah. turned her into kind of this, you know, gave her the jumping point to turn right. her into the superstar right. yeah. that she ended up becoming with her absolutely terrible hair. Yes, <laughs> the most eighties hair of all the hair in the eighties. Yeah, we'll get. I have I have another thing about her hair uh, later. We get into trivia, but that I thought was interesting. But we'll get there. Did you like her in this role? Did you think? I mean, well, I will say this: watching it the second time, I think I was even more. I caught on more that like she's asleep through half of this movie. Like she has this big part at the beginning, and then it's like, who thought it was fun to like make her unconscious? for the entire second half of the movie. Like yeah, she just becomes I mean, a totally unnecessary character at that point. She's, she's just set dressing. At a certain yeah, point. yeah. You know, like honestly you could have put any, I mean, it could have been Courtney Cox or Jennifer Aniston. I mean, yeah. Just, yeah. You know, it could have been any, anybody in that role and you would have gotten the same performance. It wasn't like, this is mm. what it had. It, this didn't break Heather Grant because you know, the people were like, Oh my God, she was so amazing in this. Movie. Yeah. Yeah. It was just, you know, like, oh, like, you know, she is, she's a pretty face and, mm -hmm. and, you know, she was good for what they gave her, which was next to nothing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's what bothered me more kind of watching it now. It's like, I wish they would have given her more to do and made her a little bit more of the story as it went going, but just like, well, let's give her, let's make her drink a whole thing of champagne and be drunk and then pass out. So. And I've, you know, we've all had our days, you know, I'm, I'm 45. So, you know, I'm, I've, I've had some days. I've had some days. Right. I don't know if I've ever been that drunk where I passed out. Somebody put me in a trunk and then. Right. Right. Like a day later, I woke up and couldn't remember any of it. Yeah. Like, and all the things that car goes through in the trunk, which she probably couldn't breathe very well, you know, in yeah. the back seat, you know, there's. And I'm like, how is she still asleep? It just, yeah, that, yeah, that, that was, there was it, definitely parts of this movie that stretched. Oh, the, for sure. Uh, reality. Yeah. You know? Logic, logic wasn't, wasn't part of this movie at all. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that as we get into goofs. That's what I'm waiting to get to towards the end. But yeah, 
I, I read some that I didn't want to put in there because it's like, eh, I can see that. But there were there were there were three things that I noticed while watching it that just were glaringly obvious to me. But we'll get there. Uh, stay tuned. We'll move on to Michael Manessery as Charles. Uh, that's the third friend who I totally forgot was in this movie until it started. Doesn't yeah. like. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. Uh, he appeared on Broadway, shared the stage with entertainment legend Yul Brynner, and starred in four television series in Hollywood in the 1990s. He was one of the stars of the long-running TV comedy Weird Science alongside, alongside John Asher and Vanessa Angel, which can be found on various digital platforms online. He's done. He's like more into like producing and and writing and stuff now. But another forgettable character. Like I didn't understand why he was there at all. Besides, just to take a bunch of pictures at the beginning, and which didn't. You know, he has a camera. He's taking all these pictures, and then it just becomes a lost plot point later on. Yeah, so. yeah, and then it became kind of one of the '80s icky plot points. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the gag was there just to have them take pictures of her while she's unconscious. And then, then you don't really see the camera again after that. So it's like yeah. it was only there for that moment. Yeah, pretty cringy. And I felt bad for Heather Graham at that point. I'm like, she had this in their contract that they were gonna. But anyway, that, you know, it has some cringy moments when they have the moments in the when they're at the party and they're all talking about what kind of oh, guessing what yeah. kind of car a girl would lose her virginity. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty crude. Uh, but yeah. you know, there's there's a lot more. There's a lot cruder teen comedies. Uh, made then and now, so right, I guess. And, and we and we'd already covered one of those. Yes, in, we have uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Ridgemont High. So right. things that, as a you know, watching it much younger, I didn't really wouldn't say it was over my head, but I don't didn't recognize it as much as I do now. Probably correct. Yeah, because I definitely wasn't sixteen when I saw this. So all right, and then we got Nina Samasco as Natalie Anderson, and when I saw the last name, I was like, hmm, I wonder. And yes, she is one of her brothers is actor. Casey Samasco, who was in Young Guns and Three O'Clock High. Yeah, I saw that last name and I was like, there's no way it's not. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah, that, that, there's, that name is too uncommon for it right. not to be. Her, her right. at least to be a cousin. I was like, oh, sister. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, so her other brother, Corky, is a writer for Daily News and a reporter at NBC News. She attended the theater school at DePaul University. She played an undercover cop in Reservoir Dogs. And featured in a scene that wound up on the cutting room floor. So she worked with Tarantino and has no proof to show it. It was released on, but it was released on DVD. So she, they, it's on a deleted scene. She played Mia Farrow in the CBS miniseries Sinatra. She's probably best known for her film roles in Little Noises in 92, The Saint of Fort Washington in 93, and for her role as Eleanor Bartlett in West Wing from 2001 to 2006. She looked vaguely familiar in the movie, but... I don't I couldn't tell you anything else that she was in or has been in since then. So it doesn't no. but thought she would get a mention just because she was on the West Wing. Felt like she, she didn't get a mention. So uh my favorite uh before they were famous cameo is definitely James Avery as Les's DMV examiner. Of course, he is Philip Banks from Fresh Prince of Bel Air. He was also Judge Michael Conover on LA Law. He was in the Brady Bunch movie and on the show The Closer. Of course, he was the voice actor for Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And he also was the voice of Harold Hazi Ben in Aladdin, which I did not know that until today. Oh, so. I don't think I knew that until you just told me. Yeah. 
but he also has if you, you know if you're playing along at home he also has another before he was famous cameo and another 80s movie we've covered already not with you but do you know what other movie that was oh uh, and you with trivia after the trivia episode yeah. he was in fletch he was one of the police officers that yes catch chevy chase when he comes into his apartment and then we've got the other i guess somewhat of a cameo because i knew he looked familiar grant grant Goodeve as natalie's dmv examiner his earliest role was on a fifth season episode of emergency in the 70s uh he was then signed on as a cast member of eight is enough taking over a role played in the series pilot episode by Mark Hamill. So he took Mark Hamill's place in uh, Eight is Enough because Mark Hamill was filming Star Wars. Uh, he had guest roles on Love Boat, TJ Hooker, Dynasty, and Fantasy Island. He also appeared in episodes of Murder, She Wrote, and Seventh Heaven. Okay. I only put this in here because it's just interesting to me. The guy who played Carl, Natalie's boyfriend, his name is Grant Heslov. It's not a name that I would recognize. It was a name I immediately recognized. You did? Okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. But uh, I don't know him so much as an actor as for what else he has become yeah. later in life. He's been a producer and writing collaborator with George Clooney and has earned four Oscar nominations. And as a co-producer of Argo in 2012, he received the Academy Award for Best Picture in 2013. As an actor, he's appeared in films including True Lies in 94, which when I, when I read that, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Black Sheep in 96, Enemy of the State in 98, and The Scorpion King in 2002. He's also performed in supporting roles in several films made with George Clooney. And uh, he's all, I mean, he's become a big time producer, not just to George Clooney stuff, mm -hmm. but I think, I think he's done, I think that wasn't he a producer on um, Jason Bateman show? The new one that's on Netflix? No, no, or? no, no, no. Oh, the, Arrested Development? Yes, Arrested Development. Okay. Because I think he did some. I think he does a lot of stuff with Ron Howard as well. I could oh, be wrong I can see that. Yeah, I yeah. can see that. But he's definitely known more now as a producer than mm -hmm. an actor. I mean, oh, he sure. still shows up in acting here and there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like the, yeah. I saw Grant Heslov's name in the per, in the credits. I'm like, wow, this is must have been when he was <laughs> just an actor. Yeah. And then I saw yeah. him. I'm like, oh yeah, that's the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remembered him as being in uh, which True Lies is not an '80s movie, so we can talk about it. But I know he's the guy that's holding the camera. When the battery dies, when the main villain is like giving his big speech and he doesn't oh, want to yeah. tell him that the battery's at, I, it's like I recognize him immediately from that. So, and then the last cast member we'll cover because it's the only one that's probably worth mentioning. Here we go. Uh, Michael Ensign as the school teacher bus driver. His film credits include Superman in 78, Pink Floyd's The Wall in 82, War Games in 83. He was in Ghostbusters in 84. He was in Titanic in 97, Bringing Down the House in 2003 and Biscuit in 2003 he's also been in all these television shows boston legal three's company alias monk jag csi star trek enterprise the x-files friends star trek voyager star trek deep space nine star trek the next generation macgyver is that macgyver twice no macgyver dynasty falcon crest mash the a-team and the dukes of hazard yeah i just wrote down that guy <laughs> he's definitely he is definitely the that guy of this of this movie for sure for sure yeah you see his face and you're like oh yeah that guy yeah because <laughs> yeah. I, I i couldn't have told you exactly what i was like but as soon mm -hmm. as i started going through his imdb i'm like i don't necessarily know if i know him exactly from this but like I've right seen that i've seen that i've seen right, that i've right. seen that i've seen yeah so yeah. i've seen him in one of these multiple mm -hmm. of these things yeah yeah, I couldn't tell you who he was in Superman or Ghostbusters or War Games for that matter. 
but I've seen all those movies multiple times. So I'm sure that when I watch it again, I'll be like, there he is. There's that, <laughs> there's that guy from license to drive that other movie that he was in that nobody remembers. So anybody in the cast you want that I failed to mention or anybody you want to talk a nope, little bit more about you, or... you hit the two guys I wrote down. So okay. <laughs> James Avery and, uh, Grant, no, Grant, Grant, Grant has and Michael Anson. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Good. And then the lady at the DMV, she's been in a bunch of stuff too, but not as much that I recognize, but she seemed familiar, but she just looked like every other scary yeah. old lady that is there to scare you in those right. movies. So, all right, well, let's talk iconic favorite scenes. Uh, does this movie have an iconic scene? If someone said license to drive, what's the scene that immediately pops in your head? The driving exam with James Avery. Okay. I, I don't believe up. in, I don't believe in clipboards. I got yeah. this coffee. <laughs> yeah. I love my coffee, <laughs> coffee and I don't like being burned. Right. Or, right. Yeah. You know, oh, that scene. And then, I mean, there's, there's a series of, of chases, you know, there's th yeah. that one. And then there's the car chase that makes up the last half of the movie, mm -hmm. you know, but I would say like, you know, honestly, like that whole DMV scene must've made an impact on me enough. Yes. That, like, yes. Because like I, that I remembered more than anything else, mm -hmm. like the, mm -hmm. the computer tests yes. and then him taking the driving exam. Yeah. Because yeah. I was like, this must've informed, like, cause I would have been 10 when the movie came out, mm -hmm. but I definitely would have already been like, man, I can't wait to drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like the driving exam when I was like, oh, I just, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the crazy thing is I took driver's ed in high school because when I lived in Maryland, it was a requirement you had before you got your learner's permit at 15, you had to take driver's ed. So all the schools offered it. Or if a school didn't, you had to like take a class or like weekend class or whatever defensive driving class. So I remember like once I got into driver's ed, like all I could think about was the movie you know, license drive and thinking that's what a driving test was going to be like. Uh, but yeah, but Corey, Corey Haynes said that he actually did the parallel park himself, like in the movie that was oh. him actually did the parallel park, which I thought was pretty good, uh, which makes me laugh because when, you know, funny story, uh, when I was doing my driving test, which I was completely nervous about in preparing for it, I could never parallel park. Parallel parking was the worst thing I could do. It was the one thing I was the most freaked out about. But I could do a three-point turn like oh, nobody's business. And those are the two big things in the test that you had to pass. When I did my test, I messed up the three-point turn, like a five-point turn. He was like, just he's like, You you bombed it, just move on. And I nailed the parallel parking. I was like, How did I get the parallel parking right on my driving test? And and missed. And the only other thing I missed was pulling out of the like the parking lot of the DMV. I forgot to turn on my turn signal and I made a right when I made a right hand turn. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember what I did or didn't do on my driving test. I don't remember if Georgia required mm -hmm. driver's ed. I don't think uh, so. But my parents did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> my dad was happy because I think it 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 there when you got a discount on your yeah. on the insurance no. by by no, taking no. it. No, there was no uh, there was no not taking it. I mean, I'm sure there was a <laughs> discount on, but it, there was a. Uh, there was a driver's ed that, you know, the school system offered like on Saturdays or yeah, in yeah, the summer. Yeah. And, and I definitely got signed up for that. Mm -hmm. uh, that was not necessarily Georgia, but uh, my parents superseded the Georgia law. Um, so <laughs> did your driver instructor, did he have one of those br extra brakes on the passenger side in the car? No, um, because we, uh, you took your own car. Oh, okay. So, yeah, we, like it, there yeah. wasn't DMV didn't have their own cars. Like, and, yeah. 
And my parent, my dad made me learn how to drive. He wouldn't let me get my license until I learned how to do it with a stick shift. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which yeah. in, you know, 93, 94. Yeah, mm-hmm. it would have been 90, you know, 98. So, yeah. So, 94. Um, you know, even by then, most cars didn't have stick shift anymore. But Right, uh, right. Yeah, that was that was a big thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then then the first car he bought me was a stick shift. So, like, I had to, <laughs> I had to learn how yeah. to ride, you know. But I, I remember, you know, I had a Honda. I think I did my driver's ed on a in an '83 Honda Accord. <laughs> yeah, yep. stick yep. shift. You know, so yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I remember it was a big thing, like finally getting my license. But mm-hmm. I don't really remember the exam very well. I yeah. just remember being like, oh, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was the thing. Like, it looked like all the cars in this movie that were taking the test were like owned by the DMV. Like, they were all the same. Yeah, they were the I, same make and model, but they were all very similar. Like white cars, very small. Uh, but yeah, like when I took my driver's when I took my driver's test, we had to drive our own car. But for the class, like for my driver's education class, they had a school car that had like a, a the 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 teacher that sat in the passenger side. He had a brake that you could he could stop the car if he needed to. Yes, I think I, I think for driver's ed, yes, that was the case. Yeah, but for yeah. the driving test. Oh no, no, it, no. Yeah, it was yeah. Your, your own car. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember what I took. I don't remember which car I took it. I know we had a minivan at the time, but I was like, there's no way I'm gonna use this for my driving test. I will fail, especially the the, yeah. the parallel parking. Oh we, we we had two cars. We had uh, we had the little Honda mm-hmm. and then we had a um a big van, uh, not even a minivan, a big van, like a full size van. Oh, okay. So it was like either the tiny little matchbox car <laughs> or the big or, this, car. or the big van. Right, and, right. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I think it will plus my dad was like, You're getting you're getting licensed on a on the stick, so you're taking the Honda. So. <laughs> yeah, I didn't learn how to drive a stick shift until much later. Like I was in college or before I started college that I had the stick I my uh well my dad had a truck that was a stick shift and I wanted to learn on it. But I didn't really. I kind of tried to self-teach myself, and I got stuck. I got stuck at a red light, through like four lights, because it kept stalling out on me. And I was like, I'll never drive a stick shift again. And then, like when I was in college, my dad he wanted. I had bought a truck. Probably remember my white, what the white pickup truck I had. You remember the car? Yeah, I don't know. I know we we. I hate. I I loved the truck, but I hated it in college because every time we wanted to go out on the weekends, I could only get two people in my car, so I'd always have you know. That's drive. why I that's why I bought a truck in college. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But my dad wanted my truck, so he bought me a little Honda Civic, I think, that was a stick shift. And so when he when I got it, he was like, Okay, we're going to the he just put me in this this big church parking lot. It's like, okay, figure it out. And so I just spent like a whole afternoon, you know, getting used to it. So I miss driving a stick now. I wish they still made them. I'd probably be terrible at it if I tried again, but I, I miss driving a stick. Yeah. My uh, my youth minister's wife taught me how to drive stick because my dad wasn't patient enough. Yeah, it's the, oh, one of the I few guess. one of the few things that my dad and I couldn't like that he wasn't able to teach me. He, he <laughs> did he did a very good job teaching me everything else, but for whatever reason, teaching me how to drive stick was not something that he could do. Yeah. I, I was like, he gave me some pointers and then just kind of let me drive it. Like he didn't stay in the car with me, which I, I probably would have. His anxiety probably would have been too much for him. So probably. All right, let's move on. We're, we we yeah. <laughs> memory lane, memory lane. Yeah, iconic scenes for me. Yeah, the driver's test is definitely what I remember. I remember the drunk driver yeah. scene and them dancing on the hood when she's like inebriated. Uh, but there's no like one scene that I just like 
totally sticks out in my mind. Uh, but what about favorite scenes? Do you have any scenes that stand out as like your favorite scenes in the movie? I mean, I, I would think that my favorite my favorite scene is probably it just the the juxtaposition of the two driving tests. Like, yes. you know, like yes. she's she's like, you know, good, oh good, good. Yeah. You go and it's like gentle rolling hills. Yeah, yeah. Like the parallel parking is like, you know, there's like two oh, car spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And then like he's got a park like that, you know, barely, you know. <laughs> um, that's probably one of my favorite scenes because it's just so it's it, it to me like it's it's the one that I remember the most from the movie, but it's really, it's really funny. So a lot of the mm -hmm. other stuff was, you know, there's a lot of really great little one-liners here or there, but that's mm -hmm. it's probably my favorite scene. Yeah, which brings the question, which I thought the second time watching it today, Les and his sister are not twins, but why are they getting doing their test on the same day? Like that's never explained. The, yeah, I, and and I do I do have. It's also the least believable thing in a very unbelievable movie <laughs> when they're like, well, if your sister passed, clearly that means yes, you passed. Yes, yes. How oh, different could can a brother and sister be? Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, are you, have you never had a brother or a sister? Right, right. I think my sister and I couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah, same, 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 same. Favorite scenes. I'm trying to think. Yeah, the driver's test is probably is 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 great. The second half of the movie just becomes like one chase scene after another. And even by the time they get, I, I like the scene where he gets home and the the speech his dad gives him like you had all this and you you know, uh, oh, yeah. you know you had a place to live, you had air, and you're not you're gonna have any of that ever again. And you're lucky your mom didn't go into labor. And she's like, I am in labor. What? And so then I was like, okay, we got to drive the car again. And you know. Another yeah. somewhat of a chase scene, but then he's using all these things he learned overnight. So I'm like, I understand why it's there, but it's like it became a little overkill by the end. Yeah. And what you know, now that you say it, one of my favorite scenes was when he pops the champagne. He's like, "We're drinking." And he's yes, like, Dad, yes, I shouldn't drive. Yeah, yeah. I shouldn't drink. Oh, no, don't worry, you're not going to drive. Yeah, you just saved me twenty six thousand dollars. Yes, yes. Which yes. also, like, you're buying a BMW for twenty three thousand. Jeez, <laughs> I don't even think you can get a used BMW no. for twenty. No, not even close. Yeah, we didn't mention the little brother, who's once again not. Yeah, not I, big enough in the cast to remember. Are you sure they're not twins? I mean, they're not identical, obviously. Or I mean, yeah, I'm mean, saying it, they, it's never mentioned. So I was like, I don't know if they are, but it's never really explained why they're taking it the same day. Yeah, so I, maybe, I guess, I guess I just assumed they were since they were taking it on the yeah, same day. Yeah, I guess that makes it makes sense now. But I'm like, it was never really. They never yeah. really say like that's my twin or you know any of that. Right. But, yeah. Uh, one of my. <laughs> I don't know. It makes me laugh, but I think this is you know once this this movie it makes it more juvenile than it needs to be. And I think it's because it's Corey Feldman being mouth from Goonies is when they're in at the course the beginning when they're the night before the test and uh, they're in the room in Les's room and he hears the music from the sisters and she's, she's doing her studying or whatever. And she's like, it's classical music. He's like, what is this? And he says, Natalie through the little speaker, I was wondering if you were driving 55 miles per hour and you collided with a runaway train, would it make any improvement on your face? And I was just like, it's a good burn. Like, it's just funny. And then, but then the belch afterwards, like, okay, this is clearly they did this because it's a kid's movie or, you know, yeah. for the kids. That intercom system? Yes. 
I had an intercom system very similar to that to my house in Memphis. That must have been an eighties thing. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, no house that I've had since then. Yeah. Has had that, but that was, you know, mm -hmm. like I remember I'm, that distinctly being in my house in the eighties. Like, yeah. I've only seen that in like one other, like one house that I've actually been in maybe two, like one of my friends, I think might've had one. Um, but I, there, when I was much older, there was one. And I remember they, they, the big thing was they could play music through like they had it set up with like a stereo so you could play the same music through the yes. whole house or whatever so yeah you could you could each room you could turn the speaker on or off yeah and yeah. like the main the main one in the living room had a radio okay so like you could turn whatever station you put it on there mm -hmm. and then you could go turn on like if you wanted to listen to the same station in your bedroom you could mm -hmm. just turn the yeah, gotcha. I don't know what we ever did with it, but I know it was there. <laughs> like, I, mean, I distinctly remember having the intercom system. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the intercom system, the other scene that I that I love is when the parents when they're out and the the mom wakes up and she's like, "I'm hot. Go turn on the A or oh, she's hot or cold, or whatever." And he's supposed to go down the garage and turn something on, turn the air conditioning on or something like that. And then she gets down there and she's like, uh, "She calls the name. She's like." I'm, I'm not cold anymore. I'm hungry. Make me a sandwich. And it's like a pickle and sardine sandwich, whatever it is. But I just remember the, with the, with the intercom thing, uh, made me laugh. That whole thing with her being, her being pregnant. Like I like the line when she's, uh, putting ketchup all over her huge mouth oh, of mashed yeah. potatoes, which gave me that better off dead kind of. Right. Scene. Yeah. Maybe that's where I got the better off dead feel. Yeah. From, but. And then she's like, don't you guys freak out? I, I eat the same thing and you all turned out just fine. Uh, <laughs> Which you know she has twins at the end, so maybe they were twins. So she's more she's prone to having twins because you know at the very last, yeah, the very end when Grandpa comes back, she's holding twin babies, right? Yeah, delivered. So yeah, makes makes more sense. And then okay, never mind. We'll get to all the things that don't make sense. But let's talk. We're at the end, so let me just say, why does nobody care where the daughter is? I yeah, guess because she's going into labor. But like she's been arrested. That car's been impounded, but she obviously didn't get in trouble because it's never like mentioned at all. Yeah, no, no. She was she was part of the riot for mm -hmm. no the protest. No, the protest riot for the, that was there for no apparent reason <laughs> other than just to have the we're being invaded line. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because maybe there's an there was another movie where that was somewhat of a plot point. Because when it got to that point of the part of the movie, I was like, I felt like the riot was a bigger portion of the movie than it was. So I might have got it confused with something else. Like I thought they were at the riot for a longer period of time or there was more of an interaction with him and his sister there, but there really yeah. wasn't the scene. When they get to the hospital, the car is just completely destroyed. <laughs> yeah. And his dad's like, no, it's your car now. Like, you know, you can oh, yeah. do it. Oh, and no. then a random eye beam drops. Right. On it. Right. Which you could see coming a mile away. Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The amount of money they would have gotten from the construction company. And Oh yeah. The yeah. the lawsuit that would have come <laughs> out of that would have bought multiple caddies. Like oh yeah yeah, and I think Corey said that uh, or I, I either I read it or it was in the interview that he said they had to do that they had to crush like three cars because the first two times it wouldn't the beam wouldn't fall flat like it kept coming like the it would it would uh, get heavier on one end and wouldn't land on the uh, car flat so they had to they had to crush like two or three cars to do it. That was a fun day for the stunt guys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And now these messages. 
Hey there, fellow 80s movie aficionados. Are you ready to embark on a nostalgia-filled journey to the greatest era of cinema? Then look no further than the Retro Life for You 80s Movie Podcast. Join us every week as we rewind the VHS tapes, dust off those Betamax classics, and dive headfirst into the neon-soaked, totally tubular world of the 1980s movies. From the Brat Pack to Action Heroes, we've got it all covered. Breakfast Club, Ghostbusters, E.T. and Indiana Jones, and more. It's like a trip in Doc Brown's time machine, but without the DeLorean. So whether you're a diehard 80s film buff or just curious about the cinematic gems of the past, Retro Life for You is your ticket to the ultimate movie time warp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Retro Life for You. And we can be found anywhere you listen to your podcast, as well as on our website, www.retrolife, the number four, the letter U.com. All right, well, let's jump into some scenes and trivia. I do. I don't have a whole lot, but I got a few on here, and we'll get to some goofs I want to talk about as well. I caught this line, and I do know that they, Corey Haim talked about they were the director let them ad lib a lot, and uh, you know, kind of bring their own ideas and stuff in. So when Feldman is fixing the dent on Les's car, he comments that his parents are like vampires, which I thought was a nice little reference to uh, Lost Boys. Yeah, it's like don't worry, my parents are vampires, I and mean, they're not going to wake up. He's making all the noise. A big part of the behind the scenes was, you know, who dated Heather Graham during the filming, or whatever. But uh, even though it's Hames' character less who was crushing hard for Mercedes in real life, it was Feldman crushing on Graham, and they actually da- they eventually dated, uh, but not during filming. Uh, I did read a Heather Graham interview where she talked about working on the movie. And she was talking about Haim, and she said, he was so cute. I probably had a crush on him at the time. He was such a cute movie star guy. The two never sparked a relationship because Haim was already seeing someone at the time. Uh, She said that he was dating this really groovy girl named Layla Zappa. They were the coolest couple. Her uncle was Frank Zappa, and he was this movie star. I felt like this nerd with these two uber cool people. But yeah, she made another comment about like she was this kid from the suburbs that was like getting her big break in the movies. And she wasn't used to being around like Hollywood people and they were all about partying and going out and doing stuff. And she didn't like, they invited her to go to different parties and stuff. She said she didn't really want to go cause she didn't feel comfortable being out. Uh, she was used to being home. Uh, so I get it. Probably good for her. <laughs> probably saved her life. Probably. <laughs> I get it now. Like, well, you yeah. want to do what? Yeah, I'm good. I'm just going to stay. Home. Right. Right. Uh, but they, there was this, a big story about, uh, Corey Haim actually had mono during filming, and so she would, didn't really want to kiss him uh, for the kissing scenes because she didn't want to catch mono. But uh, he told the story like before they had to do the kissing scene on the car, uh, he knew she was uncomfortable, so he went and took more medicine and came back and did the scene anyway. But he did say she was a good kisser. I was like, well, it's good to know. In the scene, where, get the facts important, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She was a good kisser. That's all that matters. Uh, in the scene where they're driving the mom to the hospital backwards, they actually built a replica of the car with the engine in the trunk and a steering wheel coming out of the back seat. They had a stunt driver dressed as Les's mom, clothing backward, driving the car to appear, driving the car forward to appear like it's being driven backwards. Which I tried to pay more attention watching it the sec- second time. I think they did a pretty good job of, like you can see it in a couple of shots, but they're very quick. Um, 
but there are a lot of stunt stunt drivers in this movie. Like there's a lot of scenes where you could tell it's a stunt person. Uh, the most noticeably is the scene close to the beginning when uh, Corey Hames riding on the handlebars of Feldman's bike. Like there's a there's a scene where it's like there are two men on that. <laughs> like they're like twice the size of uh of the guys. Um and then the scene in the dream sequence when he's driving the Ferrari and uh being chased by the bus. There's like one scene where like it's clearly a girl it actually looks like two men in the car and the man in the driver's side has a blonde wig on, but it looks like a man. Uh yeah, so. I did I did notice a couple of times here or there. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that wasn't aim. No, 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 no. Yeah. I mean, they were sixteen. They're not gonna. They're not gonna put their lives in jeopardy for for those kind of things. I guarantee you, the insurance company probably, and especially if they didn't get their license until they were on set doing the movie. Right. Like, right. Yeah. All right. So a few goofs. So I'll read the one that I that I read about. Then I'm going to share three that I picked up on. Uh, so the movie depicts the process of earning a driver's license at the California DMV as taking both knowledge test and road test on the same day. In actuality, the knowledge test is only taken prior to earning a learner's permit. In order to receive a driver's license, only a road test is administered. I think that's how they did it in Maryland. I think I think I had to do the written test for the exam or for the permit, but then I didn't actually do my driver. I didn't do my driver's test until I got my actual license. I'm trying to remember what it was in Georgia, and I want to say it was something similar to that. Yeah, yeah, makes more sense. And then another thing I read where it said that even like at the time, the laws at the time, even if he would have gotten his driver's license that day, he still couldn't drive. Like there, it takes like two, at that time it took like two weeks to be put on insurance once you get your license. So he couldn't have driven by himself anyway because he wouldn't have been insured. But this movie doesn't need logic. There's, logic. There's logic hardly, in this. Logic in this movie are not. Uh, yeah. Not not in the same bed with each other. Yeah. And to and to prove that, here are the goofs that I saw. <laughs> this one I saw both times. In the dream sequence, after Mercedes lights the cigarette and Les throws the match out the window, which would have blown out immediately, she turns her head to see the flames behind them. Her hair hits the cigarette, which would have caught her hair on fire if it was actually lit, because we know that hair was full of hairspray. But I'm pretty sure it wasn't a real cigarette. And it's a dream sequence, but I still thought it was interesting. And that match was clearly burned out before he threw yeah, it out. Yeah, yeah. But as soon as it left his hand, it would have blown out anyway. Yeah. Once again, dream sequence. But I still had to bring it up. The other thing that I thought was, I'll just ask this the question. Why does the Cadillac's cassette player eat Les's mixtape, but not the Frank Sinatra tape? I've never yeah, known know. I've never known a cassette player to only eat certain types of tapes. Like if it ate a tape, it's eating all tapes. But. Yeah, yeah. And generally speaking... It, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that just, I mean, you had to plot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then I read one of the goofs was the cassette he pulled out, the Frank Sinatra cassette album or whatever that was. None of the songs played after that were on that album. So they didn't even have the right album to play the Frank Sinatra songs. So Corey Haim's hair color changes multiple times. It's blonde then sometimes it's darker brown and it's actually red in one of the scenes. Like when he's walking to talk to Mercedes or outside and it's probably just how the sun is hitting his hair, but it looks like red instead of brown, 
but it looks like it's like been freshly dyed. Like that must have been like a scene they filmed later and he had bleached his hair or something. Like it doesn't match, but yeah. No, I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention to the hair, but yeah. I noticed it when I in that scene when they were outside. I was like, his hair looks really red there. But then when I rewatched it again, I was like, sometimes it's wet, sometimes it's dry. Like it was never consistent throughout the movie. And I'll even say like uh, Feldman's hair like changes lengths like three times. Like it's long, then it's short, then it's long again. Seen at the beginning, um, if a friend of mine had pulled up to my house to pick me up, yes, and, and laid on the <laughs> horn that way. I'm pretty sure that I don't know what my parents would have done, but it wouldn't have been just like get out of the house. And right. Go. Right. It, it would right. have been like, tell your friend to leave. You're mm -hmm. never allowed to hang out with them again. Right. Or, yeah, know. I wouldn't have been able to leave the house for sure. They were like, yeah, you, you can't hang out with that person ever again. Yeah, it would have been pretty bad. And then yeah. why is he just sitting there like smiling and drinking his milk like it's no big deal? And then as soon as I say get out, the horn stops like Corey Feldman can hear them yell at him. <laughs> so just, you know, yeah. One of those but, just it's all for laughs, but no logic. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, the level of stupid that, that high school boys will go to for a girl. True. <laughs> Very true. Because most of that movie could have been avoided if Corey Feldman, not Corey Feldman, Corey Haim would have just made a smart decision once early. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Right? And I didn't, I didn't understand why he didn't want us to tell his parents he failed. Like, why was that such a big deal? Like, I understand why he didn't want to tell his friends. Right. And he didn't want to tell Mercedes, but why lie to the parents? Like that, that scene kind of like, especially now it's like, why, why would you even like, you know, you're going to get found out. I mean, right. Yeah. <laughs> like even if you threw the test away and didn't leave it in your pocket. Right. Which like, is dumb. <laughs> yeah. You know, at some point they're going to, you know, like you're going to, you're going to have to be like, Hey, can I go back and take it again? Why? Just for fun. Right. Like, yeah. I didn't do so well the last time. Let me go. I want to take it again just, just to get a better score. Yeah. Right. Which then kind of leads to how long had it been before the grandpa comes to pick up the car? Because obviously he can drive then because he jumps in the car and drives Mercedes car. Um, so obviously he got his license at that point. Yeah. Well, and, and the sister's out of jail. So it must have been a good couple of weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know this movie had an alternate ending? No. Yeah. I did not know this until today. So the original ending of the film came after Les and his friends are at Archie's atomic drive-in. The older boys, they enrage, chase them and trash grandpa's Cadillac. And the boys wind up stealing a similar car from a used car lot. It tested poorly leading instead to the scenes with the drunk driver and the button up ending where we learn grandpa similarly, similarly trashed the Anderson's family car. Oh, so. Okay. I feel like that changes like the whole back half of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, you can watch the alternate ending or the deleted scene. It's on the special edition DVD, which I don't have. Um, how did you watch it? Do you have the DVD? I probably shouldn't tell you how I okay, watched no, it. Okay, so I watched it on Stars. The deleted scene is there's a very bad copy on YouTube that I watched like the first maybe three or four minutes of, but it was the, the picture quality was so bad and it was too dark. I couldn't understand what was going on. So I was like, I have to catch this some other way. All right. Anything else about the movie you want to talk about before I jump into box office and critical reception? No, no, I've, I've got all my notes that, you know, I've, yeah, I think we've, we've exhausted this one pretty well. So license to drive open in American theaters on July 8th, 1988 coming in at number six at the box office that weekend 
it could not overcome coming to America and who framed Roger Rabbit, which occupied the top two spots. Other new releases that weekend included Arthur two on the rocks, which came in at number three short circuit two at number seven and phantasm two at number nine. So it was the only non sequel new release that weekend in 1988. I mean, I definitely get why it lost to a couple of them. It only lost to Arthur two. It was, it made just, it barely made, I don't have the numbers here, but I was looking at it. It, it barely beat out short, short circuit two for the, for the, Six and seven. Okay. They were both they were both neck and neck. Phantasm two wasn't even close at number nine. But yeah, well, I mean that's because people don't like to talk about that. So it was down there with Rambo three, is where it was <laughs> <laughs> on the box office. So Rotten Tomatoes has it at 24% on the tomato meter and a 61 audience score. IMDB 6.3 out of 10 with viewers and a 36 on Metacritic. Amazingly, the tomato meter is less than Metacritic on this one, but which is surprising because normally yeah. Metacritic, I mean, I'm probably definitely more on the user side, the mm -hmm. IMDb side. Like, is it, is it a great movie? Is it as good as some of the other movies I've done with you? No, uh, no, no. It's, it's, it's fun. Yeah. It's, oh it's yeah. Yeah. Fun. It's a fun movie. It's a fun watch. I mean, mm -hmm. it's not one of those that like, there's definitely some moments where you look back on it now and you're like, Ooh, mm -hmm. uh, we, uh, <laughs> that's definitely some 80s stuff that, <laughs> Probably was better off being left in the eighties, but right. it's not it's not so I mean it's definitely dated. I mean you yeah, can definitely yeah. tell it, but it's it's still enjoyable. It's still mm -hmm. a fun, it's still a fun watch. Yeah. It's it like we've talked about, it, it's not one of the John Hughes movies where generations like my if my daughter watches now, she would think it's completely too stupid and and wouldn't understand why I would I would have enjoyed watching it, but it brings that nostalgia, whereas like a Ferris Bueller or um, 16 Candles, which may be dated as well, would still hold up a little bit better. Yeah, I do wonder had I not seen it in 88 mm -hmm. and like watched it and had that like that warm, fun memory in my mm -hmm. head. Yeah. Like yeah. if I watched it like yesterday for the first time, mm -hmm. like what, where would I, you know, what yeah. would I have, you know, thought about it? Right. I think too, why there's not a whole lot of backstory of how the movie got made. I think the studio was trying to find, we need a, another, we need a Corey, Corey's movie. Like this, I think that's why they, they paired them up because it was the height of their fame coming off of lost boys. They both done stuff separately, but they hadn't done it. This was like their first real collaboration where they were really interacting as friends. I think that holds a lot of the nostalgia because we, I remember that era. I remember, how popular they were and how big of stars they were. So you kind of look past, you know, it'd be like 10, 15 years ago of Justin Bieber and whoever his best friend was made a movie. Like kids would go see it just because they're in it. It doesn't have yeah. to be good. They would just want to see it. So I think that's probably why I wanted to watch it. But once again, there were things in it that I took away from it that I enjoy, like the driver's test and, you know, things it, it hits that sweet spot of if you were like 40, you know, like I said, 12, 14, 15, even maybe 16. That was that target audience for sure, because it's you're one of those kids that are can't wait till they can drive, can't wait till they don't have to take the bus anymore. Like, why the whole dream signal at the beginning of being chained to the bus? Like, I oh, never yeah. felt like I was chained to the bus. I mean, I wanted to drive, but yeah, I, I didn't mind the bus. The bus, I was still hanging out with all my friends on the bus. All my friends rode the bus with me, so wasn't that big of a deal. But, but yeah, that's that's really who it was geared towards. And 
that's why we like it because we were that age when we saw it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not going to say it holds up, but it's like I said, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an, in, it's an entertaining yeah. watch yeah. for people who are probably closer to our age. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's fun. It's a fun mm -hmm. watch. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. It's probably upper sixties, lower seventies for me. Like it's there, there are other movies that are better, but I would still, this one's still very rewatchable. Like I've watched it twice in 48 hours and enjoy watching it both times. Uh, I don't need to watch it again for probably another year or two, but it's still, it's still a fun watch. Absolutely. All right, Nicholas, what's coming up on pop culture roulette? I think with the end of we are family coming, probably going to be getting back into heavy game show talk. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's nothing, nothing really on the, on the burner, right? It's just, we're just going to be doing a regular, mm -hmm. you know, whatever topic we feel like talking about for the week. So yeah. I did enjoy the uh, parody bracket. That was a lot of fun. I listened to that one. There will more than likely, because of the response I got to that one, there will definitely be a sequel to that. Yeah. I know you maybe, talked to, maybe, mentioned about it. Maybe even a third one. There's a, <laughs> a lot of movies that got left off that people were like, what? When I was listening, I was like, I'm going to steal this for my March Madness bracket. Cool. So you got more stuff coming up, pop culture, that, but I'm looking forward to hearing more behind the scenes stuff about We Are Family. That's going to be uh, fun to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was It was fun to be involved in it. Um, it was, you know, and now that I'm able to talk more openly about certain things, mm -hmm. it'll, it'll be fun. And I've got a couple, I have a couple things that I've had to cut out of previous episodes <laughs> that I, I, uh, I've kept on the back burner that I'll, I'll be able to throw in, you know, okay. at some point. So very cool. All right. Well, for this episode's eighties flick flashback feedback, where I'm sharing one of our Apple podcast reviews, uh, this one comes from. Tara Boyce, and she gave us five stars and said, so much wonderful nostalgia is the title. And the review says, filled with fun facts about some of my childhood favorites. So thank you, Tara Boyce, for this awesome review. All right, folks, that's a wrap on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you enjoy the show as much as Tara does, then show us some love by dropping a stellar written review and slapping a shiny five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Don't forget to hit the follow or subscribe button and spread the word to your fellow 80s Flick lovers. If you have burning questions or want to shoot the breeze, hit us up on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're feeling extra gnarly, consider supporting the show over at buymeacoffee.com for as little as five bucks a month. And why not deck yourself out in some rad 80s flick flashback gear? Check out our online store at 80sflickflashback.com and tpublic.com for all the nostalgic swag your heart desires. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Tim Williams with the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Buckle up, son. It's the real world out there. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.